You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning, I want to kind of ask you a question. How many of you kind of resonate with this idea that sometimes in life, life really does begin to catch up to you? begins to kind of pull you at the seams, whether it's your to-do list, your boss's to-do list, or your boss's boss's to-do list. It kind of trickles down, you know, the trickle-down theory, if you will, down to your, your pile. And then it's your, your family around you. If you're married and have kids, all of their needs, or maybe their teachers, or uh, and, and, and extended family kind of weigh in, then put in the middle of that stuff that you feel like you need to get done and want to get done. How many of you feel that sometimes it's just, it's stressful. It just pulls you at the seams. This is real, like, okay. Uh, this is actually a test to see how many of you need coffee a little bit more. So if you are not with it, feel free. Cat tells me the coffee should be full. So uh, I feel like that sometimes. Now, I want us to be careful this morning that, that you know, life pulls so many different directions. And do you remember the old medieval rack that, you know, kind of the torture thing that, that people would be put on? You know, leg gets pulled and, you know, stretched and pulled. And I... I, I I think they actually didn't people like die that way. I mean, they literally pulled limb for limb. I mean, horrific way to die. So this morning we're going to talk about how to have a much more unified uh, approach to life. You know, it seems at times that everybody wants a piece of you. And a lot of them, you want to give them that piece. You want to give them the time you care about them. Some demand it, uh, some not so much. But I want us to be careful as we think about this. I just, as a church, I want us to be really careful. You know, our life with Jesus is way more than how to have a nice, happy life. It's way more than how do you just have things work out, you know, have a happily ever after or how to find peace to go through the day. Uh, There's certainly God wants to do work in our lives. But we're going to talk this morning about how to have a life that's centered around Jesus. So I'm not trying to offer you simplistic answers. In fact, the people around us who don't know Jesus need some better answers than just a a simplistic kind of thing. So I want us to always be careful of that as a church. But I want us to notice as we're in this series in the book of Judges and we're hitting our first three judges, Othniel, Ehud or Ehud, however you pronounce it, and uh, Shamgar. I've met a lot of, I've met a few Noahs over the world, a whole lot of Davids and a bunch of Sarahs. I've got a Titus in my house. I've never yet met a Shamgar, never yet met an Othniel, never met at an Ehud, but you know, these guys are kind of heroes of the faith as it were. But we're really going to look at one of these guys and see for us how important it is to really make God truly at the center of your life. It's so easy to, when you have followed Jesus for a little while, to begin to have, to lose that focus, if you will. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, this is all about people sliding into idolatry and struggling with how to pragmatically live out their faith. And, and we see the consequences of it. It's very severe. So this morning, I want us to think not so much about the idolatry is, is what does it mean for you and for me to make God the center of our life, for Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save us from our sins, who gave us his all, what does it mean for you and me to pragmatically wake up on Monday morning to go to work and have him at the center of, of it work, to have him at the center of our lives when we come home, to have him at the center of lives when we go to bed, and when we get up in the morning, rinse, repeat, do it all over again, to have him at the center when all of those things are pulling at us, what is that look like and how do we go about doing that. So take your Bible if you would and look with me uh, at Judges chapter 3, the story of Othniel. 
And uh, in verse 7, it just, uh, this I think captures so much in this chapter, just a snapshot of what's going on. So read with me if you would in Judges 3 verse 7. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. The Bible says this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, once again, what matters, the definition of evil is not what you and I think evil is, but what God thinks is evil. And those are often two different things. They did evil in the eyes of God. This is a big summary kind of statement, but here's the, the, the details, the nitty-gritty. Here's what they did. They forgot the Lord their God. They forgot Him. And as a consequence, they served the Baals and the Asherah. These were popular idols of the day. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathayim. I, I practiced that about 20 times this week, I assure you. So we're just going to call him Cush for short, because that's a whole lot cushier for me to say. So good old Cush here. God sold them in the hand of Cush, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cush eight years. Eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cush, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cush. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And if we were to continue reading, we would see the people of Israel then did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the cycle continues, the binging and curbing, the, the up and the down, the up and the down. Hey, first thing I want us to recognize this morning is, is that God wants to be the center of our life, the, of our entire life. We talked a bit about idolatry the last couple of weeks, you know. We don't, uh, are, aren't nearly as tempted in the culture that most of us here are coming out of today. While well, idolatry is alive and well, and we saw it in the video just a moment ago, people bowing down before the statues, not so much thinking that that specific statue is the idol, is the, the god or the superpower, but the one behind it is the one that they're looking toward. Most of us in this room are not doing that, but we would be foolish to think that we do not have idols in our lives that sneak in and that we begin to serve and we begin to follow and put our trust in. And, and for you and for me, whatever we're, wherever we find our security, wherever we place our hope, wherever we put our trust, wherever we, we find our significance and our identity, those are the things, as we talked about last week, that become the idols in our lives. They become the, the big things, the big rocks that we look toward. And because we are people you know, it doesn't matter so much what we did yesterday. We may have gotten yesterday well, and, and we may have surrendered our life to Jesus and truly experienced his life change that we talked about so much here. But today, if we're not careful, we then subtly make that shift to where we put our hope in our future, whether it be our 401k or our, our plans or other people in our lives, just simple things, small things, big things. And I want us to recognize this morning that God wants to be the center of our entire life. You see, we're good at compartmentalizing things, are we not? Are we not good at, uh, you know, kind of putting a little wall here and dealing with stuff? There's some positive things that can happen in that. I mean, sometimes it's helpful to cope with various things that come that would overwhelm us. 
And at times we need to, you know, take those barriers down and deal with some of those things. So some of that is good. But when it comes to God, it comes to the one that you serve, the one that you know, the one that you want to trust in, compartmentalizing your life and leaving him out of a part of that, no matter how small or how big that is, is a dangerous thing to do. You see, because what happens is, is when we leave God out of our life, even if it's a segment of life, so let's take work. So if we, if we are a, a new follower of Jesus and, and God has, has saved us and changed us and we've, we've realized that, you know, that, that we are messed up as sinners, but God brought Jesus as a sin solution to this world and gave his life and took the penalty of sin and we surrender our life to him, we experience that life change. And I, as you guys know, I'm addicted to that. When I see that in people's lives, it's just I love that what God does inside of people and it begins to work within them. And if we're not careful, we, we keep God only when we're doing spiritual or religious things. Well, I'm focused on God on Sunday when I go to church or maybe if I read my Bible, I'm gonna focus on God. And we can struggle with how do we I know this is really theologically not correct, so you astute theologians in the room, don't wing me too hard, but how do you take God with you to work? How do we, how does that, how does that become, how does he become a practical reality when we're dealing with the, the regular mundane affairs of life? So I'll give you an example. We, you guys know I regularly have house issues and water issues, and I, my wife and I still just scratch our heads how we have new ones that we've never faced before. I'm like, this is another new one. I don't know how this happens. We just, we have a shallow well that's our auxiliary well because we live in the country and we do our laundry with it and the, the well pump was going bad. It's, uh, it's in our basement. It's not one of those down deep wells and it just began getting louder and louder and louder. And I talked to a, a guy uh, a couple of years ago who's actually replacing our other well pump and I said, hey, can you look at this? He said, oh, it's fine. It's just gonna make noise and scream at you till you can't stand it and you'll come unglued. Well, I finally got to where I was coming unglued. I mean, just like, oh my goodness, you know, just like that, like fingers on the chalkboard kind of just And so we had a guy come out and fix it and because um, it was beyond what I could do. And that night, and it seemed to be beautiful. I'm like, wow, this is so quiet, this is incredible. Why didn't I do this six months ago? And, uh, and that night, I noticed that it was running and running and running and running and running and I thought oh are you kidding me and I go downstairs and I'm like what is wrong with this thing and I flipped it off it had I won't get in all the details I managed to shut it off and uh, I thought huh that's something's not right and then I got up in the middle of the night I couldn't sleep and uh, I heard it running at length in the middle of the night and I had noticed it was really hot like super hot in fact the fittings come off it were plastic and they were hot and i noticed it's starting to leak water and i'm just like oh my goodness what is going on so i shut the breaker off and all of that it's easy when you and i face a tangible practical solution to only look at it with tangible or a tangible practical problem to only look at it with a tangible practical solution you know, in those moments, you and I, if we're not careful or tempted to say, I have a plumbing problem, I need to talk to a plumber. And if we're not careful, we leave God out of those areas of our life. I want to do more than suggest to you this morning, but I want you to recognize that there's not an area of your life that God doesn't have responsibility over. There's not an area of life that God doesn't have authority over. I don't care if it's something as pragmatic as a plumber. 
So I would recommend that you do what I did, which is, God, would you please help us? I have no clue what's going on. I also was a little nervous that my well was drying up because it's been really dry the last weeks, and it's that particular well is never going to dry in 15 months. But I, there's bigger things. I said, God, would you help solve this somehow? And then guess what I did the next day? I called the plumber. All right? So the first thing is, is I want us to realize that we should not compartmentalize God out of any area of our life. If you're at work, you're doing project stuff, you're meeting with your boss, you, you ought to be able and should be praying regularly to God to help you to do well in those environments, to help you to be effective, to help you to be a testimony to Him, to help you live out your Christian faith. But it should be something that is practical to you. God isn't something that we do spiritually, you know, a few hours a week or a few minutes of the day or whatever. But we serve a God who is awesome. We serve a God who is a consuming fire, the Bible says, and He should be the center of our life. You see, when He's the center of our life, everything lines up underneath Him. The Israel fell prey to these other idols. The Baal was the, in their understanding of the gods of the world, Baal was kind of the top god, and he was responsible for the weather, kind of the sun god. So in an agrarian culture, crops and all of that, you wanted the, the rain to fall, you wanted your crops to grow, so you bowed down to Baal to, hey, kind of take care of you, to make you financially secure and to be successful. But then you would turn around to this other Asherah, this goddess, and she was the goddess of fertility and of, of love. And so if you were trying to have kids or you were a grandparent who wanted your kids to have grandkids or you, uh, or you were a dad who had a son, you're just like, I cannot find a woman for this guy. What in the world have I got to do? You would bow down for Asherah, right? Like, would you please help my son find love? You know, you would be like the gods were compartmentalized, certain little little areas and we can fall prey to that compartmentalization but the God that we serve is overall there's nothing in your life that he does not have purview over that he is not responsible for that we should look toward now that doesn't mean that all of the things pulling at your life are all of a sudden going to fade away the Christian life is not easy in fact it gets harder in some ways when you become a follower of Jesus you have an enemy that steps up his his, his plans against you and against all that God wants to do. But what it does do is when you and I consciously align our lives underneath the Lord Jesus, that He is our Lord, it at least brings everything into alignment. And then whether we're dealing with our, our family, whether we're dealing with our boss or other people, we're able to those things to be in line in our relationship with God and say, God, I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to be a faithful employee. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. If my boss wants to do what's wrong and it costs me my job, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to do, God, I serve you. I'm at your pleasure in every area of my life. So the first thing I want us to wrestle with this morning is, is we serve a God who is a holy God and he is one God and his first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me God, one way that you and I fall into idolatry that we had not talked about is we just leave God out. And he says, you cannot do that in your life. You must follow him. Now, when you and I, if we're going to be a people who, who are centered upon him, there's a few things that we need to know. And the first thing of those that you need to know is, is that when our life is centered on God, we know 
that when we step off of that, or we compartmentalize, or we begin to find our security, our hope, our trust in other things, that life gets really messy and hard. And it gets very serious. Now again, I want to caution us and pump the brakes. Life is messy and hard regardless. We know we live, the old theological word is the fall. We know that sinners in into the world. Let's just put it something a little more simple for what we would say today. Life is broken. Like we are not what we should be and life we are experiencing is not the way God meant it to be. And ultimately we brought sin in this world and death and all kinds of a mess in, in the world. And life is just flat difficult. Hard things, just as, as Sally asked us to pray for this morning a minute ago. So I, I want us to be careful that, okay, take your little Jesus pill and, you know, hey, I surrendered to Jesus and I'll have no more problems in my life. It does not work that way. However, when you and I are followers of Jesus and we don't live with God at the center of our life, then we experience hardship and messiness and pain needlessly and way beyond what we should have to go through, and way beyond what God wanted us to experience. It gets a lot harder and a lot messier. Notice what happened here. They began to simply forget God. They forgot Him. Now, I, I've forgotten things before. The nature of forgetting, I thought about this. Okay, how do I, how do I illustrate this? The problem is, is everything I've forgotten, I still forget. If I didn't, I wouldn't have forgotten it, and I could have something. But if you ever forgotten something and then months or years later oh yeah I remember that what in the world was I thinking how do you forget God like the biggest entity in the universe who is the all-consuming one the infinite one the, the I am that I am in his very name who by nature is self-existent who has no beginning and end from whom everything becomes how do you how do you forget that God they did, and I believe if they did, that you and I are capable of it. And what happens is we forget him in an area of our life, then the next step down this downward spiral is, is we begin serving other gods. See, there's a connection. When you begin to forget God, you begin to serve other idols in verse 7. And then when we begin to serve other idols and put our trust there and leave God out of the picture, then God gets angry. God's a nice God. He's a loving God, but he's a tough God, and he takes it personal. Has somebody that you've known and loved, maybe a, a friend, uh, maybe a, a family member, but kind of just blows you off? What's the term today? Ghost you, you know, just kind of, you know, walks away or whatever? That kind of hurts. That kind of stinks. You kind of get offended. I think God's anger comes out of an offense. He's like, what are you doing? I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that you're supposed to follow. That's I'm hello over here. I'm God. Remember. And and then God, in that process of time, begins to actually work against us, as we looked here. That God then sold these people into the hand of another king, a rival nation, Mesopotamia, a leader by the name of Cush or Cushan. So when you and I compartmentalize part of our life away from God, whether we lead a double life at work or at home from church or whether we just even small things just forget God and think, I got this, we begin to trust other things, whether our own abilities or intellects or somebody else's skills and abilities in, in the process of that. 
And then we subtly begin to allow idols to creep into that area. And before you know it, we get, we're really lost and we're really off the trail. And in that process, it's not even just that we're bowing down to something else or trusting something else, but that something else that we're trusting becomes a wicked taskmaster in our life. We become enslaved to it. You see, God, I mean, this is aside just from not being what's right or what makes sense. It's just idols by nature enslave us. They're demanding. They control our lives. They take from us and they give us nothing. Back when the Jews were serving these other gods, they couldn't deliver them from anything. I don't know how that all worked if the Jews were in the grocery store and a woman you know, was struggling, um, or, or a man, you know, like, I can't find anybody to get married. And, you know, or maybe a mom was thinking about that for her son or daughter. And then they see a friend, their next door neighbor, the grocery store, and they're talking, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. And oh, I'm just, you seem down. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, my son or daughter, or I can't seem to find somebody to marry or whatever. And, and then, you know, then the neighbor's like, well, here's what we did. We went down and offered a special offering to the local, you know, the local god, Asherah. And, and you know, two weeks later, it was the most amazing thing. We had this beautiful, incredible person in our life. Well, when you're a desperate person and you start opening your heart up to that, it doesn't take, really? Well, maybe I'll go check that out. They must have had better coffee, too, probably, you know, like better music. That's how you, you know, you end up going down those other roads. And, and before you know it, they're trusting and serving another, another God. But those other gods are demanding, and they enslave us, and we truly become lost, and they take chunks out of you. And, and they will always lead you into sin, which becomes addictive and becomes uh, controlling and becomes destructive in your life, and it always brings consequences that you never see or expect. 100% of the time. When you and I, if we are not careful to keep God at the center of every area of our life, we will fall into that trap. We will. If we have a little closet over here like, well, I'm going to be faithful and true, but I'm going to keep my little thing over here, my little, my little man cave, if you will, my little God cave over here, we will absolutely be in a world of hurt. That's what happened to the Jews. Eight years they lost God. Well, God loves us. His anger is not an anger out of, uh, out of hatred towards his kids. It's actually an anger out of love. It's like, what are you doing? And so to get their attention, he allowed them or actively brokered and allowed this other king to rise up. And they came under uh, enslavement and brutality and difficulty and most likely financial hardship and all kinds of other things. And they endured that for eight years. It took them eight years to like, what's going on? Eight years they kept turning to other gods. You know, the, the old saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and getting the same results. Well, they kept going after those other gods and they kept getting the same results, thinking something better was going to happen, and it didn't. And finally, they're like, oh, there's a God bigger than those. Oh, we, would you help us? And they start crying out to him. And God's like, finally. I think God probably would have done it day one had they realized it. And even before day one, had they not 
compartmentalized and turned to those other gods, they would have avoided that altogether. You and I invite so much pain. We invite so much mess and hardship and trouble when we just simply begin to leave the Lord of heaven out of our lives and we treat him almost like other gods where we can manipulate them to just get what we want and we want them on our time and all of that. And God's not a God to be treated that way. He is a Lord that we bow our whole life to. And we, that's why we talk a lot, not just about faith in Jesus, but surrendering our life with Jesus as Lord of our life. He's, he is our everything. So when you really have God at the center of your life, you know, you are careful and realize that you cannot let these other little compartments shape and form around you because when you do, life becomes a mess and a disaster and it gets really hard really fast. The second thing, if you really make God at the center of your life that I want us to recognize this morning is that we know that we should turn to God first. A life that, that puts God at the center turns to God first, not last. Don't we get the picture here that they turned to God last? He was kind of the God of last resort. Nothing else is working. Oh, right. I need to get my life straight with God. How often, we know this, probably just about every one of us in this room knows this, but how often when trouble hits in our life, that because we are compartmentalizing God, God isn't the first one we turn to. He might be the second, third, fourth, or fifth. How often we even turn to our other friends. And, and there is a place, the Bible tells us, a safety and a multitude of counselors. But make the phone call to the plumber after you pray to God first. Trust God and say, God, would you please give me a good plumber or help me to find the right person or the surgeon or whomever. Because we, and we turn to him first in our lives, not, not last, but first. What's amazing to me as we walk through the book of Judges is God is so patient and long-suffering. And he's so patient with you and me that when we know him and we follow him, that even when we continue to struggle and sin, and, and we are going to do that till the day we die, somehow in the middle of all of that, God works his grace in our life deeper and deeper, and he changes us, and it, it's kind of like that kind of like he rubs it in a little bit more, you know, that forgiveness and that freedom that we just sang about. We, we get a whole lot of it instantaneously, and then it kind of marinates in our soul. And as we go through life, God just kind of just slow cooks it into our, into our soul. And he changes us. So us facing and dealing with our sin shouldn't be something of, a, I don't know, just a, a, such a guilt that we can't face it or a shame. It should be a recognizing reality as we talk about, but it should be something that we along that same line know that we serve a God who's infinite in his grace and his long suffering. Oh, he'll be tough. He'll allow consequences to creep in and to sink in and to hit us between the eyes at times. But when we turn to him and we turn to him first and say, God, would you please help? I have so messed this up. He hears those prayers. He doesn't just hear the prayers of messes that somebody else does to us, other people's sin or consequences that we just get struck with. He even hears the prayers of the consequences of our own mess. See, you and I can have full confidence when we come to him, God, I blew it. And we acknowledge that before him and we cry out to him for help. 
he has a way of dealing with those things and addressing them. Now, in this case, he raises up Othniel, this deliverer, this, this hero, if you will, this superhero. And, and he begins to, God, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes upon him. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit sat upon people. New Testament, he lives inside of people. And, and God raises us up, this incredible individual that begins to put things into alignment and raises up a hero to, to deliver the, them out of the hands of the, of the Mesopotamians and out of the hand of that king. Now, I want to be careful that when you and I get into a mess and we cry out to God, God may not fix that specific thing that we're looking for, but he will always take care of you, will always walk with you, and always protect and will guide you through the middle of whatever you're in, even if you're the one who's at fault and got you into it in the first place. And he will do it with a gracious and a loving hand, a firm hand, if you will simply but cry out to him. Sometimes it's a natural kind of solution. The next, the next hero in here, Ehud, is one of those stories. Middle school boys love this story. Junior high school boys love it because it's the guy that makes his own sword, which is pretty cool to begin with, like an 18-inch sword. And then he goes in, and he gets in secretly, clandestinely, and he stabs a king. And it's pretty, pretty graphic. I mean, like, really, really graphic. Like, stabs him in the stomach and the, talks about the skin and everything, closing over it, not pulling it out. And anyway, it, you can read the rest of the story. We could read that and then God uses him to raise up and, and deliver Israel from their oppressors. That's kind of a naturalistic way. You know, maybe he was just a skilled warrior. And then we read the third one, this Shamgar guy who has basically an, uh, like a long stick, an ox go that you would just kind of poke at a cow to get it to move along, right? And, he, and the Bible says he kills 600 guys. We don't know if it's like one every day for what, a couple of years. I get the sense it was probably a lot together. Like, that's the legit first real-time superhero. How does one guy go up against 600 people and not lose his life? I mean, it's crazy. That was a supernatural deliverance. So sometimes when you cry out to God, you have natural solutions that you don't directly see the hand of God. And sometimes you're like, whoa, there's no way that's a coincidence. Oh, my goodness, God did something absolutely amazing. But regardless... You need to realize that God is over all of that stuff, and he works in all of those ways, works in every single one of them, which leads me to the third thing, when you have a life centered on God, that you give God the victory. You don't claim it for yourself. You give it to him. You see, the Bible says here in, in verse 10 that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel. This was a supernatural thing, even though it, to the human eye it looked natural. But God's cluing us in, no, this was not natural, that I'm doing something special here that you can't see. And he went out to war, and, and the Bible says that the Lord gave Cush into his hand. God did that. God saved him. God delivered him. Now, I must admit, when I was a younger man, my dad was a pastor, and I, I'm, a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a skeptic and a cynic, a little bit, you know, I'm a kind of a gotta-see-it-to-believe-it kind of guy. I would have been Thomas, like, really, for real, let me see. Let me, did you really rise from the dead? That probably, truthfully, would have been me. And I can remember, you know, for a season, and my parents were much more spiritual than me, and they'd be like, wow, God did this and God did that. And partly as a kid, I'm looking back, I'm like, really? Like, I, like, I don't know, didn't it just kind of work out, you know? 
Um, but now that I'm older in my life and I've lived a little bit more, I've become, we all do become our parents more than we want to admit, right? In many ways, for better or worse. And uh, I'm that guy because I'm, I've lived enough life, life that things just really don't work out. And that was my foolish young man lack of faith back then. And you and I need to realize that God is the one who gets the victory. See, as I look out in this room, there's a lot of incredible people here. There's some very artistic people here, some very um, mathematical people here. There's some very educated people here. There's, there's people, professors and teachers and educators and trainers. Some of you guys own your own business. We people here who fix things and manufacture things and design things and figure things out and... And just every one of you are incredible with the abilities and gifts and skills and things that God has given you. Which means you are highly at risk of taking credit for stuff that God does in your life. Highly at risk of that. When you and I live a life that's centered on God, we don't take any of that credit. Now, we have to have the mindset. God delivered this other king into his hand. Yes, often he'll have to get up and fight some battles. Which means when you and I are in a mess, we can't expect God to just wave a magic wand, bippity-boppity-boo like a fairy godmother and just kind of, you know, bring the coach and horse and all of that. But even in the middle of our fighting, even in the middle of our wrestling and working through and all the challenges that you and I have to face, we had better be giving God credit for the victories along the way. We better be giving God the credit every bit of it. Because when we don't, guess what? It's revealing to us an idol in our heart. It's revealing to us where we've compartmentalized God. Well, I did this. Yeah, you did it, but who gave you the ability to do it? Who put it in front of you? And by the way, you didn't realize that that big rock you were pushing up the hill that you walked back and thought you were such a macho man afterward. You didn't see God's invisible hand pushing that thing right up the hill. All right, get real, you know? So when we center our life on God, we always get God victory for that last thing and i'm done is we give god victory or we give our life centered upon god um, we know that we're there when we are careful when we get comfortable we almost have a little discomfort with comfortability i'm not talking about peace i'm not talking about uh, god wants us to live at peace doesn't mean we won't have stress we will have tremendous challenges in this life i mean the Bible says in this life you will have trouble, right? But we need to be careful that when we get comfortable, and I'm thinking of, sp of spiritual comfortable, we most of our lives work to make things comfortable, don't we? What do you do if you're not comfortable with your bed, if you can afford it? What do you do? You go shopping for a new bed. If you don't like your pillow, you go start buying pillows and trying them out. If, if your car breaks down, you are not comfortable, you start figuring it out and looking around. We, we spend a lot of money to be comfortable and be secure. And there's something in this whole pattern, and we just saw it a minute ago, that they were comfortable for 40 years. The land had rest, and the pressure went away. They didn't have that outside push in their life. But then Othniel died, and as a result, after that comfortability, they get lazy again, they forget God, they slide into idolatry, and rinse and repeat, and the cycle happens all over again. 
I'm not saying that you get points for being so stressed out and discomfortable, you know, uncomfortable. Discomfortable is not a good word. Comfortable with discomfort, whatever you want to say, that you ought to go out and do that. But I do want to say you ought to be careful. Sometimes we make the pursuit of comfort our God, having our perfect little world put together. When I look at Scripture, there was a whole lot of discomfort even with God's people. And you and I need to be careful. When we get into that comfortable zone, it becomes easy to stop trusting God. Why? You don't need him. He's an accessory. You just leave it home on a shelf. And before you know it, you're forgetting God again. And you repeat the cycle all over again. So I want to challenge this morning. Is God truly centered at the center of your life? Where are you right this morning? Is there an area in your life that you're like, you know what, I've been leaving God out of that picture. You know, I would ask you this, if I were coaching you and you were writing on a piece of paper, I would ask you this question, you know, take a quick inventory in your life, 30 seconds, write down the different areas, you know, maybe your roles. I'm a, for me, I'm a dad, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, you know, different roles. And then I would say to you, how is God at the center of your life in each of those roles? It's a question that I'm asking myself. How is God at the center? Not a yes or no. Yes or no's are too easy, right? We all look good when we do yes and no's. But how is God... I'm glad you do, Gary. So the, the, the how is God at the center of your life is something I want to challenge you with to think about this morning. Maybe as you're walking through that, you've realized you've claimed some of that victory that doesn't belong to you. You've forgotten to thank God and give him credit for it. You don't have to be weird about it. You know, if somebody compliments you something, you did a good job, it's okay to say thank you. I worked at that, but it's also okay to say, but, you know, praise really go, does go to God. It's okay. You don't have to be weird about it, but just maybe you're taking victory for some things. But whatever God has been speaking into your soul this morning I want you to take a little bit of an inventory. Our team is going to come up and lead us in a song. It's meant to encourage us, challenge us, help us. So if you want to think a little bit and not sing, that's great. If you want to stand there with your eyes closed, you want to sit and with your eyes closed, that's good. But as I pray and the team comes up, I want us to respond in our hearts to what God is saying. So pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you love us and that you're a jealous God. And you love us so much that you don't want to share us with anybody else. And when we go astray, you don't let us just keep going down that road. But instead, you gently loving us pull us back. And if for some reason we're obstinate, you raise the stakes and you get more serious. Thank you, Father, for that. And I pray that you would help us in our lives and our hearts. We know that we're still sinners. We're grateful that we're forgiven and you put a new nature in us but we know that we still struggle with that. Lord, help us to truly have you, to have your son Jesus at the center of every area of our life. Lord, if there's areas in any individual's hearts here that, are, um, that we've compartmentalized, I pray that you would make them aware of that, expose them to themselves or whatever. Father, would you help us to follow you sincerely? And Lord, I pray for those who've not truly surrendered their life to Jesus, who've never really by faith asked him to be Lord of their life, to be their Savior. Father, would you speak into their soul that need? And for those that are hungering, Father, that are 
maybe not sure what to do, Lord, I pray that you would help them to take that next step, whether it's asking somebody a question or just getting answers. Lord, I pray that you would help them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.